from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, conversing with him. Then Peter said to Jesus in reply, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud cast a shadow over them. And from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell prostrate and were very much afraid. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, and do not be afraid. And when the disciples raised their eyes, they saw no one else but Jesus alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus charged them, Do not tell the vision to anyone, till the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning, everybody. Praise God. We're all sleep-deprived. Oh, you should have seen Portola. They were a mess. <laughs> Losing an hour. We're red, bloodshot eyes. We're, half the people fell asleep. I fell asleep in the middle of my own homily. It was, it was beautiful. But before we dive into these amazing readings, the second Sunday of Lent, just a word. As we began last month, I've been offering catechesis in the evening on some theological topic, and we started, of course, on the talk about the Bible and the history of the Bible and how the sacred scripture, the Holy Bible, is the most influential book in the entire history of humanity and how every single one of us are beneficiaries of, of the revelation through the Bible, huh? why our great nation, what it is, what it is. And so this week, or not this week, but this month, the next talk will be a continuation of that theme focusing on the Bible and this time, though, the, so the title of the talk, and I'll invite everyone to come, is How to Read the Bible Without Becoming a Heretic. Huh? Without Becoming a Heretic, why? <laughs> it was prompted by a conversation I had with a lady in Portola. I was trying to evangelize her, trying to invite her to the faith. And she said to me straight up, I don't need to go to your church. I don't need the Pope. I don't need bishops. I don't need any of you guys. I said, why? She said, I have the Bible. I said, oh, good. I'm glad you have it. <laughs> But then how do you know what, if your interpretation is correct or not? And she looked at me dead face, serious, in all, all seriousness, she said, because I have the Holy Spirit. Oh, so I said, everybody else who disagrees with you is wrong. And you're, you're the one just right. Yes, everyone else is wrong, just me and my Bible. 
And I said, I just walked away after that. There was no reasoning with her. But it's a great question. Oftentimes, the people who knock on your door try to evangelize you to leave the church, right? What are they, they going to do? They're going to lob Bible verses at you, aren't they? Like grenades. And our disagreements oftentimes are because they take one verse of scripture to articulate a certain teaching. But the question is now, how do you know what is correct and what is wrong? And so in the next talk, I want to focus on the principles of how we are called to read the Bible. Otherwise, we run the danger of becoming heretics. <laughs> because notice, what did Jesus do? Remember last week's reading. The devil, what does the devil do to Jesus when he's tempting in the desert? Notice what the devil did. The devil throws scripture verses at Jesus, doesn't he? And then Jesus counters with the proper interpretation. And so I think a lot of our mess with our separated brothers and sisters is because there's a wrong interpretation somewhere. And so how do we know we're correct? And that, my friends, is what I want to focus on. That there's a way to read the Bible correctly. So, FYI, that's kind of coming down the pipeline. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Second week of Lent now. How is your Lent going, by the way, everybody? Yesterday, someone said, oh, it's going great, Father. I said, liar. <laughs> You're a liar. You're not doing it right. Because if we were to answer that, that, that question correctly, if we're doing it well, we should say Lent is going horribly. Lent is terrible. And I've been talking to many of you, and many of you have been doing amazing things. Many of you are giving up coffee in the morning. Many of you giving up sweets, chocolate. Many have given up social media, which is a great thing, by the way. Given up social media for a time. Many of you given up alcohol. Again, another laudable uh, sacrifice. Many of you have increased in your prayer time as well. Our daily mass attendance in Portola has, has increased, and even our, our daily mass here. Our prayer time, people are giving more towards charity. I even spoke to one person. One of us is, uh, they've given up their bed for Lent. Sleeping on the floor. I said, yes, good. Because why? If you notice, try sleeping on the floor, by the way. You don't sleep all the way through the night. You wake up every two hours or so, tossing and turning, because there's no getting comfortable. And they offer that up in prayer. The question is, why? Why do we do these things? Why? Where I told the people for Tola this morning, I said, well, you could have easily stayed in bed. All of us are sleep deprived in here. Huh? If someone were to run up to you right now and said, hey, why are you at church? How would you, would you, how would you respond? You don't have to yell out your answer, but just, just picture that in your mind. A stranger, a family member, a friend, a coworker says, hey, I know you're Catholic. Why do you go to church? Why do you go to Mass? How do you respond to that question when challenged? I want that question to linger in the air for a moment. Why? A couple months ago, right before Christmas, I was invited to go to a Christmas party at St. Albert's. You know where St. Albert's at in Reno? It's North Reno, it's near UNR, not too far. I've become good friends with, uh, with one of the priests there, newly ordained priest for Reno, and invited me to this Christmas party that they were having with their young adults there. The, the house was packed, 
with a lot of these young people there. And of course, like at any party, I'm very strategic at my at parties that I go to. Right? I always go to the most important place at parties. I'm always near the snacks. Right? I hover around the snacks. I stay there. Which, by the way, if I ever turn up missing, by the way, don't call the police. Check the restaurants first. Okay, check the restaurants first. And I was sitting there enjoying myself, eating snacks, and I was I was having another my third slice of pizza, and I was about to take another bite, and then a and then a young man approaches. He said, "Father," introduced himself, and he asked, "How did you know you wanted to be a priest?" And there I was about to take a bite of my my, my warm, delicious pizza. I said, oh, that's not a one-word answer. <laughs> so I put the pizza down, and I shared a, an abridged version of my vocation story, because I can tell by the look of that young man's eyes that something deep is going on in him. And I can tell you wanted to go further, but when you're in a packed house at a Christmas party, it's kind of hard to, to, to get into a deep conversation. So I said, let's set up a time. So we met up for coffee a couple of days later in Reno, so I can give him my undivided attention. I can get back to my pizza, and, uh, and he shared a powerful story. He had come back to the practice of the faith which he had fallen away from in college. Oftentimes, for our young people, what happens when they go off to college? For the first time, they're away from mom and dad. They're away from the church. They're away from people hounding them. <laughs> And just like high school, we can fall into peer pressure. That never quite goes away, by the way. The temptation to always go along with the crowd never leaves us. And he said he had fallen away from the faith and jumped head on into, as he called it, drugs and drinks and every bodily pleasure you could satisfy. <coughs> But then what happens when you walk down that road? It never, it never answers and it never gives you the promises that it, that it, that it tries to hold up. Right? That type of lifestyle always, always reaches a dead end, no matter, no matter where you go. Same ending. It fails its promises. And then this young man eventually... When the answers to the world, the answers the world provided failed him, there was the voice of Jesus. You see, Jesus never leaves us, you know, no matter how far we stray from him. Like a good mother and father, our Lord never abandons us, even though we abandon him. And this young man eventually saw Jesus for who he was in a way very similar what happened to Peter, James, and John here in this powerful gospel reading when they're on the high mountain. And it says here that Jesus was transfigured before them. The, the beautiful word in the Greek here is metamorpho, metamorphosis, also in English, meaning a complete transformation. My friends, Jesus here removed his disguise because if we were alive back then, and we saw Jesus, Jesus would have looked like every other single Jew. But in this moment, with Peter, James, and John, with the chosen few, he removes the veil and he reveals his glory. 
And in other translations, it's said that he was more dazzling than anything on earth could be bleached. I love that translation. He's more radiant than the sun itself. And they said they were so terrified they had no idea what to say. They were stuttering like, like idiots. They had no idea what to say at this moment. And I love that because we tend to domesticate Jesus. We tend to think that he's just our buddy. That he's a, a, a hippie walking around with sandals. That's, that's, not, that's not the God we worship. If we were to see Jesus for who he truly was, we would fall down on our, on our faces, flat, terrified because of the brilliance of his glory and his power. He reveals himself, points the way. The young man I had coffee with saw the truth of Christ. Well, what happens with us with so many things like this? The pull of the world drags us back, doesn't it? You see, our vices never quite leave us, by the way. They never quite leave us. We always struggle. We're always recovering sinners, all of us. And this young man fell back into his old ways. And he said in one pivotal moment, he went to, maybe you locals might know this festival. It's called A Night in the Country. It's a country music festival in Yarrington. Yarrington's outside of Carson City. It's this huge, huge festival. It's a, it's a couple day festival. And he said he goes there to this festival with his friends, tens of thousands of people. And he was there in this concert, this amazing concert, and all of a sudden, the crowd begins to erupt in a huge chant. At first, he couldn't quite understand the chant, what the crowd was saying. But the crowd kept chanting louder and louder and louder. Finally, he recognized the words. Tens of thousands of people in unison started chanting, let's get messed up. Replace that word messed up with, you can imagine, it's an inappropriate word to use in polite company. But this huge chant just cascades across this whole town. Let's get messed up. Let's get messed up. And this young man turns around, he looks, this huge crowd, And he says, this is idolatry. Idolatry. Tens of thousands of people at that moment began to worship drugs, alcohol, you name it. Notice this about concerts, by the way. Many concerts do this. Concerts are artificially engineered to try to create a sense of transcendence. Why do you think they blast the music so loudly? into the arena or to the field or to the crowd. It's definitely, you ever been to a concert, it takes you two days for your hearing to come back, doesn't it? Why do you think they pump up with, with all these amazing lights and these pyrotechnics and, these, and the smoke to bombard your senses? Why do you think the drug culture is such a huge part of concerts? Because it's trying to take you, to uplift you into this artificial sense of euphoria. This young man, Jordan, 
his name, like Michael Jordan, <laughs> saw this idol worship. This is what he said, because I asked him about it. When everyone was chanting at that festival, I felt that it was a wake-up call. Everyone's focus in life, including mine at that point, was on all the fleeting temporal pleasures that keep us numb, away from God. It was a real what-am-I-doing moment when I knew deep down what was right, and it was a time to stop running from God. You see, after that moment, because he knew God was eventually calling him to be a priest, which is hard. Because at the time he shared that he had a, he was dating the love of his life. And we had that meeting, we talked about that, because as, as priests we are called to give ourselves into sacrifice, willingly, it's, it's, it's a great thing we willingly do, but to sacrifice, have our own families, our own children, in order to give ourselves completely in service to you, the church. <coughs> and he says, Father, I think God's calling me to be a priest. A couple of weeks later, I got a text message again from him. We were in a text conversation. He texted me, Father, innocently. He says, can you, can you have a girlfriend in the seminary? <laughs> I laughed. I said, no. They looked down upon that there. And then a couple weeks later, goes by again. He says, Father, I did it. I broke up with Colleen. We were at Immaculate Conception in prayer, and something came over me. And I told her that God was calling me to be a priest. <coughs> you broke up, Father. I said, good. Is God calling me to be a priest? Yes. <coughs> I get a, another text message a couple of days, a couple of weeks, a couple of days ago. He says, Father, how, how do you deal when your ex-girlfriend starts to date someone else? <laughs> I said, brother, there's no sugarcoating it. It's going to be a kick in the chest. Is God calling you to be a priest? Yes. All right then. Go. God willing, he'll be in the seminary this fall. Why? Why sacrifice the love of your life? Why embrace a call? Why, why struggle with the moral life that as, as Christians we are called to live by? Why sleep on the floor? Why give up coffee? Why give more to charity? Why increase our prayer time? Why come to Mass? You see, we all have to answer that question, these questions that lay before us. Because if you answer that question with, oh, because it feels good, or oh, because I find peace, Oh, I do that, I go to Mass because I like the music, or I like the people, or I like the pastor, or I like... All of those answers, as good as they are, it's not the answer. 
And there's only one word, one word to respond to any of these questions. The why. And it's Jesus Christ. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Because as we hear, and I'll end here, after God reveals himself now, notice what he says. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And not anything else. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.